Development environments are brittle and hard to manage. They lack the kind of fungibility afforded by infrastructure as code. Gitpod is a company that allows developers to describe development environments as code to make them easier to work with and enabling a more streamlined GitOps workflow. Johannes Landgraf and Sven Estinge are creators of Gitpod, and they join the show to discuss the product and the motivation for building it. Sven, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Simple question. What is a development environment? That's a good question. It is not an IDE, at least not as how we define it. For us, a development environment is everything you need in order to code, debug, you know, be creative software projects. So that includes all the tools you would need, like compilers, SDKs. I call that usually the user land. Of course, a decent editor or IDE, also with all the plugins, extensions you would need for the languages you are using, stuff like application server, databases, and then, of course, the source code. But also, you need to download dependencies, generate code, and so on. So I usually call that inflating the raw source code somehow until you're finally able to you know, start coding. And so that is what, what I call dev environment. And what is the dev environment's interaction with the IDE? It depends on the IDE, but today's IDEs like VS Code being the most popular one, it embraces a terminal. So you would use a lot of command line tools, but then also you are able to you know, open editors, multiple ones, and you have really decent tool support. And of course, integrations, for instance, you know, a SQL plugin to connect to your test database, stuff like that. Tell me the problems with traditional dev environments. The main problem with how we all work today is that when you start with a new project, you're using your machine, whatever that is, macOS or Windows or Linux, and then you need to make sure you can somehow run this project. In order to do that, you typically go to some readme where it says like, yeah, in order to do that, you have to install MySQL in that version and you have to, you need Node and that and that and that and that. And that is the description for fairly standardized, simple projects like a node package. It usually works somewhat, but for real world projects, this is kind of an onboarding task that takes two days easily. And then even after that, it's still not perfect. So you're running into issues like, you know, debugging still doesn't work or, or stuff like that. That's only the onboarding. The problem really is that we, we create all this state on our machines for all the projects we are working on. So we are usually working on multiple projects. And then we need to massage and sync over time as the project evolves. And in case we need to go back, for instance, to an old branch in order to fix something, we need to roll back all the changes on our environment. And this always results in configuration drift. And we've seen that with um, deployment scenarios, right? Today, what we have is continuous integration, continuous deployment, and we have infrastructure as code. So no one would today, I mean, with reasonably professional software project, deploy your software using an FTP upload as we did like 20 years ago, and then, you know, updating it 
through that and massaging the state and trying to keep it alive. But we would write everything down in code so it's reusable um, and reproducible and versioned also. That's also important. And we are doing that with basically everything, but not with our development environments. That's still like we work in the 90s. So again, what are the advantages to putting a development environment in the cloud? Like putting it in a cloud is not the key point. The key point is I want to, I don't want to care. I don't want to care where it runs. I just want to have it and use it when I need it. And I want to have it in the right state and it should be quick. And once I'm done, I want to forget about it. You know, just, we call it disposable dev environments. Cloud is just a really convenient infrastructure where you can do that. You could possibly do that on your local machine with Docker, but then you're still limited to the local resources you have. And we've all seen that, like everyone who has used Docker locally knows um, you pretty early hit this uh, kind of problems that your computer is getting warm and loud. Uh, So these are the advantages in using the cloud, right? You can just scale any kind of compute you need and complex software systems today need a lot of compute. So if I load my development environment in Gitpod, which is the, the company that you are building, what happens? When you want to start a dev environment with Gitpod, you start off from some sort of context in gitlab.com or in GitHub or in Bitbucket. A context is a branch commit, an issue or a merge request. And what we've built is a system that you you go off from this point and Gitpod creates your dev environment for that particular branch. So it checks out that branch for you and prepares the, the dev environment. So exactly what I described before, the goal is to script everything that um, brings you into what I call a ready-to-code development environment. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to wait for builds. You don't have to wait for downloading um, dependencies and, and such things. You just click a button on a merge request, and in a couple of seconds, you have everything there and can debug the application and try it out and search um, code and so on. So you can do that today with GitPod. You go to GitLab or GitHub and on any project and you prefix the URL with GitPod.io hash. But of course, not every project has a proper configuration. So we would just open, clone the project. When you have a proper configuration, GitPod would use the right Docker image. It would use, and it would also execute the tasks that are specific for a project like you know, Maven install for Java projects or um, NPM or Yarn, uh, whatever you have there. And the really cool thing is we do that even before you open the project. So Gitpod has this unique notion of what we call pre-builds. That means you install a webhook on your project and whenever there is a a change, we go through this processes and prepare a dev environment. And then this completed dev environment, this ready-to-code dev environment is sitting there waiting for someone to you know, use it. And then we, you get um, fresh copies of that whenever you go there. And you don't have to wait for anything. So you're really you know, skipping the 20-minute builds and so on. And only with that, you can really have these disposable dev environments. 
because if you don't have that, of course, you would go back to reusing one dev environment because you don't want to wait for the build every time, right? You don't want to wait for downloading dependencies. And with that, you are back to what we are using locally, just moving that into the cloud now. But that's really not very beneficial because you still have to take care of the state. You have to maintain the dev environment all the time. And you are also not executing the automation multiple times a day. So you are not sure it actually works. And it probably doesn't after some time because it's not executed. What are the advantages of having this kind of disposable dev environment? I think for me personally, the best thing, we've been using GetPod to develop GetPod for more than a year. And it somehow changes how you work. I... I have this peace of mind that I always can have a dev environment, no matter no matter where I am, what you know, what device I use. But also, I don't have to switch like switching between tasks, which is something I I do a lot because I usually work on one feature, which is you know taking me one, two, three days or even longer. And then colleagues ask for code reviews. And I can just do that in a new tab with a new dev environment. I do the code review. I don't have to get stash and fetch and reset the branch and rebuild again and then come back or so. I can you know, just do that on the side. When I'm done, I close the tab and um, that's it. So this is freeing me from a lot of thinking, managing state friction I have there. Also, exploring projects upstream projects often i use for instance some sort of library and then i have the source code but it's minified and i want to use the original one and then i go to the github project open that in in GitPod, and can you know you can work with that and see i can even make short like e- easy fixes like when i go to upstream projects even also locally in your company um these projects that are you know shared utility projects or so you are working on that every other month or so small fix but that's super easy to do you just do that you don't have to you know remember how to set up a dev environment i think the best thing is i just you know have this peace of mind that i don't have to care about my the state on my local machine so are there some difficult problems with trying to make that state management work in gitpod you mean describing how to set up a dev environment such that it is in the ready-to-code state? Yes. Mm, it is relatively simple. So we are trying to reuse existing tools as much as possible. We are big fans of very orthogonal designs. Uh, we, are, we don't want to reinvent wheels when there are good solutions for the problem we have. So we are reusing, for instance, Docker and Docker files. So that is kind of the basis. There you describe what kind of feature or tools, command line tools and so on you need. And then there we have a Gitpod YAML, which you put into the root of your project, similar to a continuous integration uh, configuration. And it's actually all in all pretty similar so you you describe what is the basis docker file docker image but then also you're saying okay what are the steps that need to be executed in order to create me a ready to code development environment and those are just shell commands and you can have multiple shell commands that run in parallel so you basically say i want to have a terminal in my ide 
Um, and these are the things that should be run during pre-build. And this is the task that should run when I start a dev environment. There you have all the freedom of the bash, basically. Do you have any like recipes for people setting up like the same defaults for how people would set up an environment? We have a couple of base Docker image that are very powerful and have a lot have lots of tools. So good defaults, which work for 80% of the projects. Further, we have documentation, tutorials, and of course, on community.getpod.io, there are users sharing their configurations. You can always also search on GitHub and GitLab for um, GitPod YAML files to see great examples. And yeah, there are certain, you know, for certain frameworks, there are certain problems that you can always solve in the same same way, obviously. So yeah, there are these patterns. But again, the more important thing is that we try to make it really, really close to how you would do that locally if you script it. We don't want solutions to be very specific to GitPod. If that is required, we think we have made a wrong decision in the design of the, pro- of, of, of the product. So you have this analogy of CICD for dev environments. Can you explain that analogy in more detail? Sure, yeah. We see this as if you are working on a modern software project with, with that has con- some sort of DevOps pipeline or continuous integration, you know. You're trying to to streamline the flow from creating a change until it's in production and, and also in, in making the, this lead time very short, right? And there are these bits where you in the workflow where you need a dev environment and those are not automated. Everything else is automated. Right? You push something and then there's then there is CI and then there is a, a testing phase and so on. Well, when you need a dev environment, you go to the readme and you need to create it, clone it locally and so on. And Gitpod integrates into this pipeline and automatically creates dev environments for, for the branches and even for the tasks. So the first thing is you start off from the from the main branch. You have a pre-build for the main branch, obviously. So you start a dev environment, create a change. Then you push it back. Then there is a CI build, but also in parallel, a pre-build for Gitpod is created for that branch. So a reviewer can start a dev environment and do a deep code review, provide some feedback, probably not changing anything. So this pre-build is reused by the original author also to, you know, apply the, the feedback on, on, on the code. And, and, and yeah, basically that's, that's what, what, what we, how we envision it. You, if you are keen on automation and want to streamline your process and your workflows, then this fits right in, in, in the DevOps pipeline. How does collaboration work within Gitpod? Um, collaboration works in in three ways. First, of course, it's just normal way using Git and so on, right? So that's not different to whether you work locally. You can even mix that. Use Gitpod only for some parts, and you you communicate through Git and pull requests and merge requests and, and things like that. The second is you can live share your workspace. So if you are working on something and you have a certain situation that you want someone to look at, 
you can invite, like open your workspace to your colleague, then your colleague can call in, so to say, and see the same workspace that you have and help you there. And the most, like the best tool we have for collaboration, at least I'm, it's my personal opinion about that, is the snapshot feature. When I earlier explained how pre-builds work, it is, you know, you are running t- through a certain task and then at the end we take a snapshot of of the result and a user can take snapshots at any point so you can you know create a certain situation try to reproduce a bug and once you have that you create a snapshot you get a link and then you paste it into the issue and someone else can click on that issue at any time in the future and get a copy a clone of that situation Let's uh, go a little bit deeper on how Gitpod actually changes how development is done in a team. Yeah, it depends on on how how deep. Like we, as I said, like we use Gitpod entirely for everything. So there's, I think, no one in our team who would know now like you know can tell me how to set up what I need to set up locally in order to run Gitpod locally. You would figure it out after some time, but we really don't do that. In other teams, it always starts with one user who who likes Gitpod, the idea of Gitpod, and they convince their team just to add the configuration. That's the only thing it, it needs to really you know use the the full power of Gitpod. And the rest of the team doesn't necessarily have to use Gitpod. They can still use their local things. And also Gitpod, for instance, understands VS Code configuration. So that that is shared. And then some people use it. And then others start using it only for smaller tasks, like code reviews on the side. That's quite convenient. And what we've seen is that they, over time, understand, okay, there's really no reason for me to work locally anymore. And then they keep using um, Gitpod entirely. The thing is, this works for people who are very used to VS Code because currently that's the only IDE interface we are we have in Gitpod. And fans of other IDEs, I think most importantly, the JetBrains tools um, because BI and Emacs still works quite well. Yeah, so we are looking forward to what JetBrains comes up with in order to work with remote um, dev environments. And then we are happy to integrate that. So our product, Gitpod, is really not about any opinionated IDE choice. We just picked VS Code or because that's the most popular one and the one we like. I'd love to know more about the engineering behind Gitpod. So when you actually are are building it, how does Gitpod run in the cloud? It's a Kubernetes application running in basically two Kubernetes clusters. It could run in more. The Gitpod IO thing runs in in multiple regions. So we have we do that in order to make sure that you have a very good ping time to your container so that you get you know instant a, a really good timing when you type in the terminal because there's turnaround and so on. And content assist is really important to be snappy. But when you do the Gitpod, use the Gitpod self-hosted version, you deploy that to one Kubernetes cluster. And there is a bunch of parts that we call the meta um, parts that 
to kind of are the application. And then we have a certain component that is managing the workspaces. We call that the workspace manager component. And that can actually run anywhere, also on other remote um, Kubernetes clusters or so. So we could load off the workload to other clusters. And that is monitoring the workspaces at runtime. So in, in GitPod.io, we have some additional things running that are not part of the self-hosted because it's not necessary there. Like, you know, we are we need to take care of security. Also, we need to make sure no one is abusing GitPod and using it for for cryptocurrency mining, stuff like that. Or yeah, we have seen have seen all kinds of bad things happening there. Yeah, but that's basically the architecture. How are people using it for cryptocurrency mining? They're just using our freemium uh, compute. <laughs> they just run their stuff there and trying to find something. I guess they never find something, but um, they are heating up the CPUs and we don't like that. It's a classic, actually. So I'm also quite close to other cloud IDE people. Like, So I, I know the code and the people, for instance, for some long time. And they, yeah, they always also had this issue. So when, whenever there is some free compute available somewhere, people abuse it for this stuff. How does Gitpod help with debugging? It doesn't do anything special. It just uses a standard debugging tools that you would use locally. So what, what runs in the browser is a VS Code-like IDE that fully supports the debug adapter protocol that was invented by the VS Code team. So you can install all the, all the debug adapters, um, which are available for basically every programming language that supports debugging, visual debugging. So you can stab through, through code just as you would assume or you would do in VS Code. And it, you don't need to do any kind of remote debugging as long as the process is run in your container. But of course, you can also, from your container, connect to other resources. So when we develop GitPod, um, we are not running the cluster in the workspace itself. What we do is when you push a branch, we instantly create a preview environment of, of the changes of that branch and push that to a certain namespace. And when I start a dev environment, I get a dev environment with all the compiled source code and all the configuration and compilers, but the, and the kube control CLI that is configured with this, with this preview application. So I'm working you know, with the real Kubernetes cluster that is external. And I don't have to wait for it to come up. And I also don't need to run a dev environment in order to just try it out. If I want to do a review that is more based on testing, I don't need a dev environment. Yeah, so in that case, we need remote debugging, obviously. Or sometimes we use telepresence also for debugging for those who know this tool. Um, but it's really just like you would use work locally. There is no difference. Tell me about snapshotting in Gitpod. The snapshot feature at the moment is it's based on our the architecture in Gitpod under the hood is that we have a special Docker registry that would keep your state as layers on the, on the, on the layer file system that is used by Docker. And when you take a snapshot, we just back up the current top layer 
And when you start a snapshot, you get you know you get get that as an image, and you put a new layer on top. It's very close to commits actually in Git or so. So snapshots keep the state, the file system state, and it also keeps the UI layout. So it it reopens the editor you have opened, and you know all the layout changes you did. They would just they would just be recreated for you. And then, of course, when you start, it starts just like a, a standard dev environment. So it would run the task you have configured in your Gitpod YAML you want to have started when you first start a dev environment. Um, yeah, so that's basically how they work. Going forward, we would love to be able to also snapshot processes. This is a bit you know, advanced tech also in, in container land. And there are solutions and in there. But it's also there, there are challenges with you know, backing up all the state because it can be quite a lot of state and so on. But that's all for the future. Currently, we back everything up, but not the state of the processes. Is Gitpod useful for the classic problem of, you know, somebody new joins your company and they need to onboard and they need to set up their workspace? Is it useful for that kind of situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the obvious first thing the onboarding problem. I'm just not focusing on that so much because we've learned and experienced how cool it is to work with disposable dev environments continuously, right? So have this freedom of always automated um, dev environments. But for, when I talk to people and ask their, about their pain points that I have now, they for sure realize onboarding is a big pain point. And yeah, absolutely. Gitpod eliminates that. So there's no, you know, no two days of trying to get it to work. It's just, it just works. Interestingly, sometimes people say, well, I think it is important that my developers go through this pain and learn how to set up all the tools and so on. I never really understood, even when I asked why that is important. It's It's somehow weird. But maybe it was more like in the past when Developers also needed to install a production system or so. I don't know. There's a feature of Gitpod called Parallel Workspaces. Can you explain what a parallel workspace is? That's just, you know, starting another workspace on the side that we just, you know, we try to explain because that's that's something you cannot do today. Although developers have their workarounds, so some developers keep having to Git clones, for instance, in two different folders in order to use one for the ongoing, you know, feature development and another for going, like doing code reviews and so on, because they hate this friction back and forth. And then you have at least dual workspaces. In Gitpod, you have, you know, any number. Actually, I think there is a limit, but it's it's a very high limit that doesn't make sense any, you know. Uh, you can just, you know, Start another dev environment when you need it, use it, close it, and it doesn't affect anything you've been working on as a dev environments. What's your vision for the future with Gitpod? I'm pretty sure this is going to be very normal. Like, you know, the idea of having automated development environments in a few day a few years will be like, you know, today not having continuous integration or five years ago, not having version control. And then, yeah, it's going to happen. Like 
and the tech is there. I'm honestly looking forward to the launch of uh, GitHub Code Spaces. They will help us a lot, you know, getting that across to the mainstream. Also, because this time the solutions are really good. In the past, you know, the solutions were very ambitious, but really couldn't match the local dev environments. And, you know, for instance, Cloud9 has been around, has done a lot of cool things, pioneered this area, but also, like I mentioned, Code NV, Eclipse J, and so on. But now we have solved, for instance, this problem that the IDE you are running in the browser is now really more or less the same thing you are running locally, or many people run locally. And we have really good cloud technology, and yeah, there's there's really there are no more so many reasons to do everything locally because it's also powerful, and you can solve all the problems, and the benefits are so good. So yeah, this is going to going to happen in a couple of years, and for Gitpod, yeah, we you are in a position where we have you know created something and a good time and we love what we've been building we we are pretty sure also our pre-built stuff is going to be landing in other products that that compete with us and yeah that's, that, that's exciting so i really want to just work on that and see how it solves a big problem in the developer world any other deep engineering problems that are worth exploring yeah so we are there is one deep engineering problem we are actually working on at the moment and that is Gitpod uses containers and with containers there is this problem that you you know you cannot allow people privileged access of sudo and you know docker and docker and so on because they could use system calls and break out the container isolation and then they are on the node where other containers run. And that is, of course, unacceptable. And because of that, we need to enforce limitations. And those limitations are, you know, they force people to build like workarounds in the configuration. The configurations could be much simpler. For instance, a lot of Docker images out that are like out in the wild, they are built with, you know, based for root, basically. And so you cannot directly run them in Gitpod. But we want to allow everyone you know, to just reuse stuff and make it as simple as possible. So we are looking deeply into this problem, which hasn't been, like, there are others looking into that deeply, like Google, for instance, with Gvisor, and, and there are others. And so this is really a very, very big problem. We think we can solve it for us. We cannot solve it generally for everyone, but we know, you know, what are the what are the requirements and what is the context in Gitpod, and therefore we can make certain decisions. But for that, we really need to dive very, very deep and understand the Linux kernel and what system calls have, you know, have what possibilities and so on. We are working with our engineering team who are pretty good with this, but also with external consultants and experts in Kubernetes and container security and so on on this. Um, that's just a, the hardest yeah, tech, technical challenge we are, we are working on at the moment. How do you vet Gitpod for security? Well, we currently, we, uh, for instance, don't allow 
any privileged or pseudo in or root in uh, in the in the containers. Of course, all connections are HTTPS. Then all important information is uh, stored, encrypted. I think, yeah, this is mostly the common stuff. And of course, you're also generally always trying to be a bit more, you know, be on the safer side and and, and, and trying to do things that uh, you don't want to have this fired back at you. Yeah, but those are the things we are doing. And we are more working on being sure we can relax one or the other things in order to allow certain certain features to be used. I mean, there's no reason not to use HTTPS for sure. But what I just said, the, the, the root access is really problematic. Well, Sven, is there anything else you'd like to explore around Gitpod? So, yes, uh, I woke up to great news today that GitLab a merge, a merge request that we were creating together with them that integrates a native GitPod button on the GitLab project. So when you, in a few days, it should land on gitlab.com. And then I think October 22nd is the next, or September 22nd is the next release for GitLab self-manage. I'm not sure if it's landing there or in, in October 22nd, but you no longer need our browser extension in order to have the GitPod button on gitlab.com. It is going to be natively integrated now. And we are continuing working with them, making really great integration in both directions so that you have really a, you know, a seamless workflow when you use GitLab with GitLab CI and so on, and you can just use GitPod in order to start dev environments on your projects. Cool. Well, well thanks, Fan. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great day. Awesome. Bye-bye.